The advice in this podcast is general in nature and does not constitute medical advice. Always consult your doctor if you are concerned about your child's health. We recommend always following the safe sleep guidelines. In the spirit of reconciliation, Dr. Fallon and Dr. Law acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and the continuation of cultural, spiritual and educational practices of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. They pay respects to their elders past and present and recognise that sovereignty was never ceded. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Brand New Little People. I'm Dr. Fallon Cork and I'm here this week with Dr. Laura Conway, who held down the fort so beautifully last week. Laura, I was listening to your episode in the car the other day and you did such a good job. It's really hard to do a podcast when it's just you on your own. It is. And Fallon, I um, will happily admit to our listeners that I did have to record that podcast twice (laughs) because without your guiding and I did um, forget to connect my microphone correctly. So um, anyhow, I'm <laughs> delighted that you're back today and um, hopefully we'll get this in one take. Oh, who knows? It'll be my turn to make some huge mistake this week, I reckon. <laughs> oh, it's funny. Um, I thought we'd start off this episode with a really simple question that a parent sent through. So she's having some troubles with her baby's sleep. Um, and she has to share the bedroom with her baby. I think her baby's around 11 months old from memory. So an an older baby. Um, And this is the case with so many families, I think, especially with the cost of living crisis as well. Mm. Often we're trying to fit a big family into a smaller house. Um, So a lot of babies are room sharing with their parents for quite a long time, and they might even do so for years until there's space for that child to have their own room. Um, So this parent wanted to know is um, the approaches that we recommend in the Sombal program for for settling, do they work when the cot is in the same room as the parents? And I would say, yeah, absolutely. Like we've specifically designed Mm -hmm. strategies so that you can keep your baby really close if you want to. You can have that cot right up beside your bed um, and that's completely fine. The approaches still work really, really well. And I don't know about you, Laura, but I find a lot of parents in clinic are just wanting to keep their babies close through the night. I mm-hmm. see a lot of families who do. Do you have the same experience? Yeah, I do. Um, particularly families who um, are still feeding their babies overnight. Um, and in the winter months, they just find it more comfortable to um, have the baby close by overnight. Um, so they don't mm. have to be walking down a um, cold corridor um, to go into their baby's room. Um, yeah, and many families are, you know, very rightly so being um, uh, cautious um, in following SIDS guidelines, um, which, as we know, are mm. to um, room share with your baby for the first six to 12 months. And lots of families are um, very comfortable with keeping their babies in their room with them for that time. Um, and mm. that's, um, that's a perfectly um, fine choice for parents to make. Yeah, and babies can still sleep, maybe not all of them, but I would say most of them can still sleep really well when they're sharing a room with their parents. There is the occasional baby who is so noisy that, you know, the parents can't stand to share the room with the Mm -hmm. baby and sometimes that's just the way it goes. Or there's some babies who are just so excited that there's somebody else in the room that they have trouble settling down for sleep. But um, Yeah, or Fallon, those (laughs) those families where one of the parents is a really heavy snorer. Uh, oh, yeah. And they disturb the baby. 
Um, that can be yes. a really good reason to um, move the baby out into their own space. Yeah, absolutely. Well, where did your babies sleep, Laura, when they were little? Did you kind of have, did you have the bassinet or the cot? Were they in your room or did you have their own nurseries from the start? Mm, so um, both my babies um, were in a bassinet in the room with me. Um, and my firstborn was, um, yeah, she was in the room in the bassinet. And we were intending to then move her to her own room um which had the space for a cot um but um we kept having to delay the move um, because we were trying to get back to england for a family event um and i thought well i'll just keep uh, my daughter in the room with me in the bassinet just um for a little bit longer because then we'll fly back to the uk and um we did then fly back to the UK, but we only got halfway um, because there was a, a volcano that erupted in Iceland that meant that all airspace was shut and we had to then come back yeah. to um, Australia. And then we weren't sure when we were going to fly again. So we, there was a backlog of people who were trying to get out of the country then. Uh, and um, so then we were like, oh, well, it might only be another week or two. And we couldn't fit the cot in our bedroom. Um, and oh, we, so you're thinking rather than make a change and then yes, go travel, just yes. wait until you get home and yeah. make one change. So yeah. in the end, <laughs> um, yeah, my poor firstborn was um, really way too big to still be in her bassinet. Uh, and I have some really <laughs> funny photos of her um, just um, pretty much <laughs> spatulaed into her bassinet <laughs> before our trip back to, in, back to England. And uh, after that, when we came uh, home she was about uh, six or seven months old and she went into a cot in her own room uh, what about mm. you Fallon what did you do with yours oh mine were all a bit different so my firstborn was the noisiest sleeper <laughs> like he just constantly made noise grumbling groaning just just a noisy baby and I think I honestly made it to about six or seven days of having him sleep <laughs> in our room. And then I was just like, I can't do this. You know, it actually became dangerous though. And I think that's the other thing is, you know, we want to follow the SIDS guidelines and keep them close as long as we can. But if you're doing it at the expense of your own well-being, yes. then you've got to really think about that. So in my case, I just thought I'm going to crash the car when I'm trying to drive mm. to his appointments because I was not getting any solid stretches of sleep in a row because he just kind of kept muttering about whatever, who knows what he was dreaming about. I have no idea. Um, so pretty quickly we moved his, I don't think he had a bassinet. I think he was just in the cot. So we moved his cot into um, his nursery, which was right next door and we could still hear him well enough. Yes. We had a monitor as well, but it just meant that it took the edge off those noises and I wasn't constantly having my sleep interrupted. So we, yeah, we kind of had to go down that road. Um, I and can't what about even the remember what we did with my second born. I think it's poor middle child. You just kind of forget. <laughs> you remember the important things, yeah. but you forget about the rest. And then, well, my third born was premature. So she stayed in our room for a really long time and she was a very quiet sleeper. I think yeah. she was maybe seven or eight months, maybe even nine months. And I was really sad when she left our room. Were you? Um, she was a, a good little companion to have in the room. Yeah. And it was I really struggled with that, putting her in her own room and having her that bit further away. But, you know, it just kind of got to that point where um, I could tell that she was ready. Yeah. Um, how did you go with travel with your babies and in terms of their sleep setup? Like, because you, you were back over to England a bit. Was, yeah. Did you find I was slept okay? Or? 
Oh, it was up and down, um, <laughs> to be honest. Um, when we stayed at my parents' house, the um, their setup is <laughs> both my parents are agoraphobic and um, they can't stand. Uh, sorry, not agoraphobic, claustrophobic. The other way around. So they can't stand. <laughs> I was thinking, where's this going? <laughs> yeah, can't stand um, feeling enclosed. So there's always right. windows open and the the blinds are really thin. Um, so they have curtains that do deliberately do not block the light. Oh my so, God. And my children needed to sleep in pitch black, um, both of them. Mm. Uh, they were very temperamental sleepers. Um, so I had to um, have the portable blackout blinds that I had to stick up mm. to the windows. Um, and... Um, yeah, it's just a, and even now when I go back, they they still have those blackout blinds there, um, in the house yeah. that we that kind of suction cup onto the windows, um, yeah, and they um, slept in portacots um, when they were smaller, um, yeah, they were quite tricky because they, um, yeah, as I say, both of them quite temperamental, and there was one time mm. where I went away with some friends and we tried to put our two little girls of a similar age and we tried to put them in the same room together in their portacots they were about about 11 or 12 months old and it was a disaster because whilst the other little girl oh she was probably about 10 months old and my daughter was about 12 months old the other little girl could be put down quite easily um and she just went off to sleep my daughter had very specific requirements sleep requirements <laughs> and uh, she did not like being in an entirely new room with somebody else in the space with her um, yeah. and in a porticot that she wasn't comfortable in so um yeah we pretty quickly had to move her out of that room she couldn't do a nice sleepover with her friend which in our wisdom we thought would be a great idea at the time i love the optimism you guys had thinking yeah we'll put them into it'll be nice you know two little babies in there it'll be lovely disaster um, no doesn't work for all of them does it no Uh, what about you because i know that you traveled around um america didn't you with um your two was it america you went to scotland as well yeah, it was kind of a bit of a around-the-world thing. It was a big undertaking, and my kids were oh, two, five, and eight, I think. Um, and, look, they're, they're pretty good. They're, like, as long as they had, like, a you know a favourite toy, they had a comforter that they loved. Mm-hmm. So if they had that with them and the same, you know, PJs from home, they were pretty adaptable and, and happy to kind of sleep on the go. Um, but what was funny actually was that we just decided our two-year-old will be fine. We're not going to book accommodation that has a bed specifically for her and we're trying <laughs> to travel light because there's five of us. We did not want to be carrying a porticot around the world. So we just kind of thought it'll be fine. She'll either sleep in our bed mm-hmm. at night. I mean, she's two years old, so the safety thing isn't such an issue at that age. Um, or, you know, we'll just make up a bed for her somehow and we'll just kind of wing it. But it actually worked out pretty well because I think it helped, you know, she had her older brothers there. Um, yeah. Just having them nearby has always been a big comfort to her. But everywhere we went, we literally just got the cushions off the couch. <laughs> and then we had a sheet that we would just wrap over those cushions to make up a bit of a mattress for her. And she'd bought one of her blankets from home along with her. Oh. 
And that was just, we just made up this little bed everywhere we went using yeah. couch cushions. And it was perfect. It's so handy when they're that little. Yes. Like they just don't need a lot of space. And she did spend some nights in our bed as well. Um, but, yeah, like we just kind of, yeah, totally winged it. But, you know, I was laughing before actually. I was thinking about this friend who I think her baby was about six months old. This is totally not recommended, okay? Please don't do this. <laughs> But it just really made me laugh. She was going away for a long weekend. She had, I think she must have had five or six kids at that point, so lots of children in the house. Um, And her baby was about six months old, so not moving around yet. But they left the porta cot at home and they were like, what are we going to do? And they emptied out one of their large suitcases. (laughs) I can see where this is going. (laughs) They've got this great photo of this little baby sound asleep in the suitcase on the floor. And I think they'd used like a pillow or a cushion or something they use something to like make the bottom of the suitcase quite comfortable and soft and the baby just slept beautifully there all weekend but we do not recommend we do not recommend people but i guess you didn't hear that here no we did not say that um yes it's i think it's really good for parents to perhaps hear these personal stories of our own um managing sleep with little ones when we travel and how our friends have gone because um yeah we have to carry on living our lives and um having fun experiences and getting out and about and um you just have to do the best you can and in years to come you'll look back and laugh yeah yeah, yeah, you just have to wing it. And I always say to parents, like, don't be scared to travel with your kids because I feel like most babies, toddlers, kids, they're more adaptable than we are as adults. And often the fear of what might go wrong and the anxiety you have around that is far worse in the lead up to the trip than what actually plays out on the trip. Yeah, well, that's um, that certainly the case with mm-hmm. my second child, but not my first one. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> very specific sleep needs. <laughs> and it's a good demonstration, though, of like, you know, you can have two babies of a similar age or toddlers of a similar age who have such wildly different sleep needs. You know, oh, the amount yeah. of sleep that they need could be different. How sensitive they are to changes in the sleep environment can be entirely different. Interesting to hear that yours still like to have a really dark room. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's pretty common. It can really become a bit of a, a sleep association um, but so many kids just need a whole lot more comfort when they are falling asleep somewhere that's a bit unfamiliar and having something from home like a teddy or um, yeah, even the same sleeping bag, things like that can just really help to make it feel a little bit more like home for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. And trying to follow the same bedtime routine um, as much as you possibly can so that um, mm. the, although the environment is different, as in they're in a different um house or you know they might be in a hotel and they might not be in their cot they may be in a travel cot um actually the lead up to bedtime is exactly the same um what the parents are doing when (laughs) they say good night to them is exactly the same within reason uh yeah yeah yeah. i'm having flashbacks laura (laughs) (laughs) trying to do the bedtime routine in a camper van in scotland (laughs) when it's snowing outside Oh and we were trying to get three kids to sleep in one queen-size bed, oh. <laughs> trying to follow the bedtime routine. And oh god, it's <laughs> but you know what? The memories are funny. And yes. I laugh about it all the time. Yeah, so it was still worth it. <laughs> uh, we had a, another question come through from a mum who's in our Sunvale program, and she asked us to clarify a bit around. 
Um, she's saying she's unsure at night time when she should feed her four-month-old and when she should be aiming to resettle her four-month-old without mm. a feed. Um, so she was saying that her baby at one point was feeding only every five hours at night and doing really well with that. In recent times, they've been feeding a bit more often and she was sort of thinking, gosh, should I be starting to resettle her without a feed for some of these nighttime wake-ups? What do you reckon, Laura? Oh, I think that... Um it's the fact that she used to be able to do um, one feed overnight. Um, is that yeah, what she was? Yeah, five hourly feeds. Five so hourly, probably yeah. Be probably about, about one, one overnight. It? Yeah. Mm. Um, uh, suggests that, uh, and also her age, for around four months, it's fine for uh, an expected that babies of that age will have one or two feeds overnight. Um, and perhaps um, this mum who's emailed us with her um, baby who was able to do five hourly stretches of sleep it, um, might be thinking about um, continuing that now that you've started a new um, cot settling um, process um, and have a time in mind um, that when your baby wakes up, if it has been more than four or five hours, because we know that that's what your baby can do and can manage um, when she wakes up around that time feed her straight away um, and um, then pop her back down um, hopefully to have another stretch of sleep um, and when she wakes up outside of those times um, probably do the resettling approach um, if you mm. can what, what do you think Fallon is that what you would be recommending yeah, I think that's I think that's a good approach just given that she's four months old so if she was you know, over, older than six months, then I think you can be, you know, a bit more rigid with when you're going to offer a feed and, and, and that sort of thing. But since she's only four months old, I think, yeah, having that bit of flexibility. So it could be, yeah, like you say, aiming for four or five hour stretch between feeds. But then some parents will say, oh, I know they only need one feed at night because every feed is a tiny little suckle, you know, just mm. to fall back asleep. And then they have this huge feed at 2 a.m., and they're looking to drop those little tiny suckle feeds and just stick to the one main feed at 2am. So if that's what you're experiencing um, and you feel really confident that they actually only really need one feed overnight, then it would be fine to just say, okay, I'm going to offer that feed. Maybe it's at 1 or 2am or later, mm. somewhere roughly halfway through the night. Um, or you know, if they don't wake up at that time, then it might be later on in the evening. Um, but just offer that one feed. And if they wake at other times, give them a cuddle and then work on resettling them. But because she's only four months of age, if you at all suspected that she was, you know, unwell um, or out of sorts, or there's just a wake up where you think, gosh, I know she's probably not hungry right now, but she's really upset and something's really bothering her. Of course, you can offer that feed. Um, mm. That's completely fine. Um, so I think it's good to just think a bit flexibly about it. You're probably going to have a little bit of inconsistency with night feeds um, for maybe another month or two and often at around about that six-month mark, um, you know, often they're starting solid foods and they're just needing night feeds a whole lot less and often they pretty quickly drop them at that six-month mark. Mm. So probably not too long to go and you might even be at a point where your baby's ready to drop all of their night feeds. Um, but there's variability baby to baby, so we generally kind of say just watch and, and see what happens and see what they seem to be ready for when you get to that six-month mark. Yeah. The only thing I would add to mm -hmm. that, Fallon, would be that um, if for this particular um, mother who's emailed us, if, since it sounds like she's started um, to use a new settling approach, um, would be um, to try to give the baby a feed um, as soon as she wakes up 
overnight rather than trying to resettle and then moving on to give a feed. Um, mm. You know, so that if um, it's if your baby's woken up after four hours, mm. what we don't want, what we want to try and avoid doing is trying to resettle the baby for half an hour or something overnight and then giving the feed. Um, really, if she's woken up after four hours, you think, oh, she probably is hungry. It's a little bit earlier than um, she can sometimes um, uh, last until, um, but she's going to be due a feed soon. Just pick her up, give her a cuddle and give her a feed um, at mm. that point and then pop her back in the cot because um, really we just don't want her to be spending half an hour um, trying to resettle her and then giving the baby a feed because yeah. then your baby's just going to think, oh, okay, this is what I have to do. <laughs> I have to yes. protest and cry yeah. for half an hour before I get the feed. And that's, of course, not what we want to be um, teaching the baby. I think that's a really good point to raise, yeah, because mm-hmm. sometimes they will then think, well, on those other times when I wake up but then I just settle back to sleep, maybe I should try calling out really, really hard, getting really upset because maybe – a feed will be offered if I do that. So always be thinking about that sort of, I mean, we talk about this a lot in the Sombal program about the psychology of what your baby might be thinking and experiencing when they wake up. And you don't want them to get into that trap where they think if I just go to a really hysterical cry really, really quickly, um, something's going to change um, about how I'm settled. So Mm. yeah, trying to just kind of have some parameters around when you might offer a feed. And if it's close to that time, then offering the feed Um, I think that's really sensible, Laura. That's good Mm. advice. Um, Good. All right. And, you know, I was thinking too about how a lot of families ask us about dream feeds um, and when to use those. Like Mm. um, I know for some families they just do a dream feed from the get-go. So dream feed is when you, um, before you go to bed at night, you go and offer your baby a feed. The idea is to try and keep them asleep during that feed. Um, and for around about half of babies, they will have this sort of feed. Maybe it's around 10 or 11 PM that they sleep through. Um, and for, yeah, half of those babies will manage to get maybe a four or five hour stretch of really good sleep before they wake up for that next feed. And that can be protective for parents sleep because you know that if you quickly go to bed after that dream feed, (laughs) you've got a few hours in a row to get some nice, deep restorative sleep. Um, so that can be worth trying in the early months, um, trying mm-hmm. a bit of a dream feed. Um, but look, it doesn't work in all babies. So you might try it for a week. And if you're finding that after a week of offering that dream feed, they're still waking up, you know, two hours after the dream feed, wanting another feed, then there's probably not a lot of point in offering that dream feed. It's not really get, you know, helping them to get that, that really long stretch of sleep. Mm. Um, what do you think, Laura, though? Like, do you suggest dream feeds much in the clinic? And when would you not suggest dr- offering a dream feed? Um, so yeah, if parents, um, are, if the baby's quite young, I suppose, um, from, you know, three months, um, even a bit earlier than three months, I would suggest, um, offering a dream feed, um, at around that 10 or 11 o'clock mark. Um, those families are often absolutely shattered and the parents are exhausted and I'm trying to think about ways to best support mum and dad to get a nice stretch of sleep mm. um so i'd say well give, give it a try um because then we're really doing everything we can to see if we can get a nice long stretch of sleep for both baby and parents mm. um and obviously if parents have come in and are saying that they are offering a dream feed and then their baby is managing to sleep for four or five hours uh, after that i 
fully yeah. support them to continue to do it. Um, mm-hmm. However, families do come in often and they are doing a dream feed and babies just waking up an hour or so later after the dream feed mm. and you know if mum or dad have been hanging out staying up a little bit later in order to give that dream feed before they go to bed uh, and the baby's mm. waking up after an hour the dream feed isn't working in the way it should and so I would suggest yeah. that they stop doing the dream feed go to bed a bit earlier themselves um, and think I about think that's a good idea yeah how long it's been mm. since the previous um, previous feed um, yeah yeah, yeah, I think that's... And certainly if they're much older than six months as well, like after six months of age, provided they're eating, you know, solid foods as well in the daytime, usually they can manage a really good long stretch overnight without a feed. So that's when I'd start to think about dropping that dream feed and just kind of seeing how they go. Because you might be thinking that the dream feed's helping them have that longer stretch of sleep. But actually, if you drop the dream feed, they're still just sleeping just as well. Mm. And of course, then you can get off to bed um, a little bit earlier as well. Yeah, absolutely. Because mm. um, we do like to think about babies having that nice long stretch of sleep at the start of the night, mm. don't we? You know, once they're a little mm. bit older that you pop them down at seven or eight, whatever time their bedtime is. Um, and for them to be able to go through um, until the earlier hours of the morning. Um, so, you know, once your baby is over six months and is having um, three meals a day, um, then really we don't want to be interrupting that um mm. that nice restorative stretch of sleep at the start of the night um and we're really in fact starting to move towards dropping the fees altogether so we want to help encourage mm. a baby to learn to go for a little bit longer before they have that feed um yeah and then you'd be looking and that at, takes practice too yeah it does you know, take you've practice, got a really yeah. In order to for the baby to move more of their calorie intake into the daytime, sometimes you have to you know, start to gradually reduce the nighttime feed. You might feed for a little less, uh, you know, less time than what you ordinarily would, or um, you might start to stretch them out a little bit longer between their night feeds. Babies are so clever at noticing that reduction in calories they take in overnight and adding those calories to their daytime. Mm. So you can sort of gently start to push more of those calories into the day. Um, the other thing I think is, I mean, I think a lot of parents would have already heard this advice, but it's pure gold. <laughs> in the really early months for that dream feed, if your baby will take a bottle, or even if they won't, but you want them to take a bottle, then get the non-breastfeeding parent to go in there with a bottle for that dream feed and give it a go. Because sometimes they're so tired and out of it, sometimes they're completely asleep through that dream feed, mm. um, that they actually will start to take a little bit of milk from a bottle. Um, so it can mm. be good practice, but also... Um, it's a great way to give the breastfeeding parent a bit of a break. Um, yeah. If the non-breastfeeding parent can take on that first nighttime feed, the breastfeeding parent can then get to bed earlier and get a really nice long stretch of sleep before they're starting to get up to do feeds later on in the night. So it's just a really good way to make sure you've got that, um, you know, somewhat equal division of labour. Um, you know, have a think about how you might be able to make that work for your family as well if your baby is still really little. Yeah, great tip, Fallon. We're all for the equal division of labour. Oh, we sure are. That's a whole other episode. <laughs> let's not go there. <laughs> Maybe we could talk about that next week. Yeah, yeah. Let's. We're very passionate about that. <laughs> All right. Well, I reckon this episode's probably been about the length of a, a pretty decent breastfeed. Yes. <laughs> so if you've been sitting there holding your baby feeding, we're going to let you go now. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. And also we've had some 
absolutely wonderful, beautiful feedback from families on how much you're enjoying the podcast and also how much you're enjoying Sombal and the amazing turnarounds that you're having. I'm going to try and put together a reel again this week to talk through some of our wins of the week because it's just amazing hearing about all these families who are um, yeah, having some really nice long stretches of sleep at night. But actually, Laura, what I've loved is the parents who are saying, that they have hope or they've had months of feeling like nothing was ever going to work. And then suddenly, you know, they're watching the videos in some battle and, and working through that and feeling like they've got this really good sense of hope again. They realize they can do it. And one parent emailed us to say their baby slept or fell asleep in their cot for the very first time. And that that had just, you know, it had never happened. And it just really filled her with hope for the future and what could be achieved. Amazing. We love those stories. So send them to us. It makes our day when we get them. Yeah. Send (laughs) us your um, success stories and also send us your questions, what you're struggling with, um, because we will will have a nice long chat about them in the podcast and um yeah, yeah for sure and actually we are we've just been talking about we're working on some bell for toddlers um mm-hmm. which we're really excited about it's going to be a few months away because we we fit it in around everything else going on in our lives but if you have toddlers or preschoolers um, and there's something you'd really want to know about. And of course, we can talk to it on the podcast, but it could even end up in that Sombell program. So if you have questions, mm. by all means, send them through. We'd love to hear them. Awesome. All right, let's wrap that up. Have a great week, everybody. Bye. Thank you. Bye. If you need help with your baby's sleep or settling, then you need Sombell. Sombell is Australia's first online pediatric sleep clinic for babies aged 0 to 12 months. It contains all the best resources from Dr. Fallon and Dr. Laura's sleep clinics, so you can rest easy and soak in your baby. To find out more, click the link in the show notes or visit sombell.infantsleep.com.au.